live. Off we go. Here we are. Who's intro in this thing? Yeah, take it away, man. We will welcome anybody who's on so far and give two minutes or so to let people join. Well, whether they join us at the front or they join us in the middle because they're scrolling through Facebook and LinkedIn during work, which is no judgment here. We're all doing <laughs> it right now, right? True. We're doing. So uh, if you're catching us, at, I guess, at the top, great. Uh, but we'll be, I guess, self-introing our ongoing topic as we go live, as we're live here. We're throwing questions to James Fair, all kinds of IT questions. We're going to see if we can stump him. Probably not, actually, if we're going to see if we can stump him. Oh, you'd be surprised. Um, we're keeping it pretty 101 around here. Although to some people, these questions might be IT 301. And you know what? That's fine. That's why we're here. If these questions are still in your mind to this day, I, I wrote down some of these and I'm like, I I don't know. What does a GPU stand for, actually? I can't remember. Let's find out, right? <laughs> so... As people join us, whether they're joining us again at the top or you join us in the middle, great. Let's dive in. If you've got questions, throw them here and we'll answer them live. It's a, it's a live show today, Between the Bytes Live. Yeah. Let's do this. Exciting. All right. Um, so quick intros. My name is Derek. I'm on the marketing team here with Executech. And my name is Gary Arnold, also on the marketing team. And my name is James Fair, and I'm on the tech team. I'm senior vice president here at Executech. And uh, apparently the name of the game is Stump Me Day. So I'm going to do my best to uh, put these answers in English. We'll see how well I do with this. Honorary member of the marketing team on the podcast crew. (laughs) Now I feel honored. Thanks, guys. (laughs) We can stop now. All right. Let's run through some of these, again, 101 questions. And if anybody jumps in and they have a question for our resident all things IT expert, James Fair, feel free to throw a comment on wherever you're watching us and we'll we'll get to that question or comment. All right. What is the most common issue that you see while fixing computers at businesses? I would have to say, I mean, there's a ton of them, but the single most common uh, complaint we get as consultants as techs is my computer is running slow. It's a nice generic, you know, response to a lot of different things that can happen with a computer, but that is probably the number one problem we hear is my computer is running slow. And it could be, you know, the website, the actual computer itself is running slow. It could be my Word document took a long time to load. It's a myriad of, of actual things, but, um, but yeah, that's probably number one. I love the switching around here. Now yeah, change like the center that. stage. Let's do it. That's <laughs> right. Ah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I imagine that the the causes and reasons for a slow computer, can, there are just infinite numbers of them. But is there a, a go-to, like, if your computer's slow, you should try doing X? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I hate to sound like the stereotypical IT guy, but restarting is is a thing. And, you're gonna, you know, a lot of guys, it's what their go-to is, well, have you started a computer yet? But that, I mean, I've had, I can't tell you how many different clients I've had say, yeah, I did that and it actually resolved the problem. Uh, or in one instance, just restarting it wasn't sufficient, but actually powering it all the way off and back on has resolved some problems as well. So it doesn't fix everything. There's no doubt about it. But if you consider that we're running on top of a bunch of hardware built by humans, that it has firmware, which is code written by humans, we're on top of an operating system, which is code written by humans, on top of a, the application you're running, which is also code written by humans, it's a wonder some of this stuff works at all some days, I'll be honest. So 
the fact that it, that it may have a glitch or run amok or use more processing or resources on your computer than it should at any one given time it is not abnormal in our world. There's just too many variables. So I do, it sounds terrible, but I do recommend at least trying to restart to see if that change, you know, resolves the problem. There are certainly instances where that's not an option. You know, if you've got a server with a hundred people attached to it, we can't simply go reboot the thing without some, some large undertakings. Um, so there are other things we can do, but as the uh, end user, my first answer is going to be try restarting it first to see if that resolves the problem. Because even if your IT support asks you, you can always say, yes, I tried that and no, it did not resolve the problem. Can we go ahead and skip that and move on to number two? It's like when you call your internet provider, first thing they always ask, did you restart your modem? So just go do that before you call them. <laughs> so you're going to get that out of the way. Same kind of deal here. Save yourself some time. Yeah. Yeah. If you're just joining us or scrolling past us in the feed, we are fielding basic IT questions to our IT expert, James Fair. Uh, if you've got an IT question of any kind, throw it in here. Bring it um, some other 101 questions here, James. What sure. is HTTP and what is the difference between HTTP and HTTPS? And you want me to do this in English? So, all right. Layman's terms, please, for us, for us <laughs> the simple marketing folks. All right. Not an easy one. The internet. So we have two basic functions of, uh, let me see, components of the internet. We have addresses, which is the sender and the destination of any piece of data across the internet. But then each address is broken into sub, sub parts as well. Man, I was going to go down a technical rabbit hole here called ports. And one of those ports is port 80. It's just, And it's the default website port. So we've got, without going too technical, 65,535 ports <laughs> are available for any one IP address. Who knows? Maybe one day we'll, we'll exceed that number. But so far, that seems to be working pretty well. So, And then many of them are reserved for certain functions, such as port 80 is used for HTTP traffic or hyper text transfer protocol, which is just a fancy way to say web traffic. You nailed the acronym, which is- Yeah, yeah, I've been, good. <laughs> yeah I, I got the acronym pretty, pretty well. Um, so if you type in www.google.com, then it's going to use the hypertext transfer protocol, HTTP or port 80, to transfer that data between your machine and the server back and forth. That worked great for a long time. We've been using that forever. But then we wanted to do things like online shopping and banking. And it's a terribly insecure method. It's very wide open. Uh, anyone who's watching packets across that feed can read everything about that packet. It can read what you got, what you sent, what you got back. So they invented HTTPS, where the S is for secure. And this provides a, a encrypted transfer between your computer and the server, your destination computer, and back and forth so that we can do things like banking and things like that and no one can just jump in. They can still see that packet, but it's just going to be, you know, gibberish and won't be something they can decipher uh, without a great deal of effort and time. So HTTPS is the preferred method. In fact, I have an add-on to all my browsers that whenever possible, it switches to HTTPS. It looks for that as an option and switches automatically, so I don't have to make sure I'm doing it. So whenever possible, use HTTPS, but I think that answers your question. Perfect. And little plug from the marketers, we know a little bit. HTTPS is better for websites anyway. If you're trying yes. to do marketing or do anything with your website, you need to have the secure protocol added on there. Otherwise, yeah. Google's not going to play nice with you. Yeah, yeah any browser, 
will pop up a little thing that says warning, this is not a secure site and it deters yep. people even if it's nothing malicious. Yeah, Google made quite a push a few years back with that SSL certificate to put that little S in front of the HTTP. Yeah, they were not behind around. Yep. <laughs> I guess a, a follow up to that. It's still kind of a one on one question because I run into this. You'll you'll go to a website and Chrome or whatever will typically say, "Hey, this is not secure." Basically, proceed at your own risk and really deter you from proceeding yeah. and actually visiting the site. Typically, is that because there is a a that certificate, that security protocol that's not enabled? And what should I do in that case if I still want to get to the site? So, yeah, I mean, some uh, browsers like Chrome right now will just flat out refuse to let you go there. Uh, Firefox gives you an option. You can click on advanced and proceed anyway. Generally, if you're not a technical person, uh, shy away from those sites. It means they haven't set up proper security. And, you know, if it's something innocuous, if you're not sending, if you're not logging into it, if you're not sending private data that you care about, it's probably fine to go ahead and proceed. But, and we didn't really talk about certificates very much, but that, that is the encryption uh, keys, we'll call it, uh, between the site and you. But some places will, will save costs by using what's called a self-signed certificate. These are kind of self-created ones. They're not official. So therefore your browser still recognizes them as insecure. Uh, but so you may go to an HTTPS site and still get that error. In that case, you're probably using self-signed cert. They didn't want to go out and spend the money to get an actual certificate to install it and go through that process. Or they may not have the technical know-how. So again, if it's anything that uh, requires a login or any anything else like that, stay, stay away from it. If it's something innocuous and there's nothing, no concerns, probably not a big deal. Gotcha. Let's let's continue on our theme of acronyms because nobody loves acronyms more than IT people. Oh man. And so again, 101 questions here, folks. Many people may know a lot of these things. And that's great. But if you don't, also, that's we're here to learn. Tell us, James, the difference, uh, both acronym-wise and actual uh what it is and what it does between RAM and a GPU and a CPU. Oh my gosh. Okay. I've got the acronym, so we're good there. But uh, <laughs> so we'll start with RAM. Uh, RAM is random access memory. It's been around forever. Um, I actually want to compare RAM to hard drive space because that's that's a much mm. better direct correlation. So a hard drive is where we store the operating system, your files, that kind of a thing. It's what we boot up of. It's what we boot from when your computer is first turned on. But it's slow, inherently pretty slow. Even solid state drives are much better. They're a vast improvement because they're actually RAM stuck into the battery, stuck into a drive space. Um, but that's the inherently the most slowest, the, not the most slowest, the slowest part of the computer is transferring back and forth between that and the, the processing, the processing power, the processor of the computer. So instead, we move that into RAM or memory. Uh, the, the words are used interchangeably. And that is much faster. And the speed between the processor and memory is way faster. So that's where we want to do our calculations. Think of it like a whiteboard. Um, I'm going to use the whiteboard to do my work on. But as soon as I turn off my computer or restart, then that whiteboard gets erased. So whatever was on there is gone. So I want to make sure at that point I'm doing a copy of it and saving it onto my hard drive. So RAM is uh, temporary storage, temporary but fast storage for anything you're working on at the time. So you click on Word, it loads up Word into memory. So it's quick and fast, we load those things. In fact, going back to our first question, 
when you do see a computer running slowly, typically it's because, or in a lot of cases rather, it's because there are too many things loaded and you do not have enough memory to run those things quickly. So it starts swapping that stuff onto the hard drive, which we mentioned is the slowest part of that. Uh, GPU, onto the next one, is a graphics processing unit. So actually, let me skip to the, to the last one. CPU is central processing unit. This is your core processor. This is what makes the whole computer run. Your i7, your i5, your yeah, AMD, or yeah, Motorola is being used in Apple again. That's the core of the of the entire computer. In fact, you can com- consider computer it are nothing but peripherals built around that central processing unit. So if I have a keyboard, I need a way to access that into the into the processing unit. So there's an inf- interface for your keyboard. Uh, for my monitors, there's an interface to that processing unit called a graphics card. That's the GPU. Um, every single thing we attach to a computer is just an interface to get back to that central processing, the, the heart and soul of that computer. So that kind of determines everything, how fast it will run, uh, what kind of the generation of that chip will determine a lot of things like whether or not it has a larger feature set, which you won't know as the user, but will allow things to run faster. As CPUs got faster and faster, then the software we wrote on our computers got more and more resource intensive. In fact, a lot of things like games, for instance, number one, um, or a lot of other uh, 3D programs, Photoshop, any kind of 3D rendering tool, they realize that instead of taxing that central processing unit full out, we could offload a bunch of the graphics processing to a different processor called a graphics processing unit or a video card. Um, Most computers have a built-in video card. You can run some basic ones, but if you notice that multiple video streams or when you really start getting crazy with your graphics, it starts to slow down or trying to play games, that's because you don't have a dedicated uh, graphics card or a, you know, a, a beefier graphics processing unit to be able to support the offloading of those graphics to that thing. That's a long explanation. Hopefully that answers the question. And I assume that a sound card works similarly. Yeah. Yeah, very much. Again, it's an interface between your speakers and the processing unit or your microphone and the processing unit. Um, But it's, that's exactly what it meant to be. Now that nowadays the processing of sound is not so intensive and the processors are so beefy that's typically built into the motherboard, but certainly not too long ago, we had uh, graphics or excuse me, sound processing cards that were offloading all that processing to save the CPU to do the rest of the work. Absolutely. And they're still out there. They're just pretty rare these days. Now, with all of these pieces and parts that come together to make your computer, your system, as they get old and outdated, they start to slow down or programs and other applications or games uh, get better and better that make these older ones obsolete with that have come tools hacks tips and tricks to speed up your seven-year-old laptop or your windows 98 (laughs) operating system what are some yeah (laughs) what are some of the biggest wastes of time or money when it comes to tools that you can purchase or hacks or things that you can do to supposedly speed up or improve your system yeah some of the things I would, no matter what hacks are out there, um, if your computer is seven, 10 plus years old, you're just, you're going to need to upgrade most likely. There's no getting around it. You can only you know, hack your way so so effectively. Some of the ones I, I think the biggest ones I see are these tune-up tools. Um, I'm going to download this tool and it'll make my computer run run like new. 
most of those are just garbage. Um, some of them are are actually, you know, adware or other malware. That is certainly number one. Stay away from the tune-up tools. While there are some out there that are effective, you know, if you're not technical, it's too hard to be specific and get the right ones. And I don't want to sort of name products. So I would say stay away from tune-up tools. Those are mostly just uh, expensive cables. This is a, I mean, I don't want to name shops necessarily, but I went into a, a well-known retail store and I just needed an HDMI cable. And they're like, okay, here's one for $25. And I'm like, I don't need a $25 cable. And it took a while. Like I had to ask three times. The guy's like, oh, oh, oh. And he went around to the other side of the shelf and showed me the rudimentary HDMI cables, which were $5 or $7 instead of the 25 and up. You do not need gold-plated, uber-corded, blah, blah, blah for an HDMI cable. Um, they look cool. They sound neat, but they really don't add any value whatsoever. So please don't don't waste your time at these retail shops who are sending you, encouraging you to spend ridiculous amounts of money on a cable. It, it rhymes with rest cry and yes even a 20 even a 25 dollar one at uh that specific retail store is is a tough find they're getting yeah, yeah. more and more expensive in the 50 to 60 dollar range I, I have to imagine it's a huge profit margin for some of those now don't get me wrong hdmi cables have changed over time and there are newer versions but you just do not need to spend that much for a cable it will not give you any better results your video will not look sharper or clearer or any difference it's digital information which means they're going to get there or it's not it's not going to make a difference whatsoever so last thing i would say not necessarily very technical as far as computer goes but if you're renting a modem you're probably paying you know ad infinitum you're paying a monthly service for a device that you could replace. Now, if you're going to keep it for a year or two and you know it's going to be short-term, probably makes sense. If it's you're not very technical, maybe it makes sense. But, you know, over time, if you 10 years of paying a monthly fee for a motor rental, you more than several times over paid for a device to replace that would be yours that you could keep and move with you. Now, the only hang-up for non-technical people is... If you don't rent a modem and you ever have internet issues and you yeah. call your provider, they will steadfastly refuse to help you because that's their just default. Oh, it must be your device. Yep. Doesn't matter you if your you device is so much better than what they're, whatever it is that they're <laughs> renting to you. They're like, oh, yes. no, it's it's your device. Something's wrong with that. That is very true. So frustrating keep, part of that. Yeah, I, I do recommend keeping the old one on hand to be able to throw it in place just in case uh, that, <laughs> that eventuality. But I have run into that myself where I call up and they say, hey, my Internet's down. They're like, well, can you, you know, what kind of modem do you have? And I describe it to them. Like, That's not ours. So um, I can't help you. When clearly like my, all my neighbors are out, the entire neighborhood is out, but they will not even talk to me until I put their device back in play. It's true. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. James, I like this line of thinking you went on for a minute. What other tips do you have if uh, I'm out shopping for a new computer or just a new home setup? What are some things I should look for or avoid? Whew, that's a tough one. Uh, I would avoid flashy things that sound cool. Um, there are a couple of things to focus on. Consider how you use a computer. So there are two, well, there's more than two, a couple of big considerations. Number one is the clock speed of your computer, or you'll see, you know, 3.4 gigahertz or 2.4 gigahertz. That's the clock speed of your computer, of the, of the processor that's in your computer, which is essentially your computer. So that is kind of how many operations per second the computer can do or how fast it can run any single task. So if you're a single task user, which most people are, um, you know, I'm going to 
use Word, then I'm going to use my browser, and I don't do a whole lot of things at the same time, then that's pretty important to you. As the, the power users, we'll call them, need more processing. So if you're doing any kind of rendering or if you're using uh, some graphics intensive tools like Photoshop or even Adobe uh, Acrobat, if you're editing PDFs, things like that, and particularly games, uh, a lot of games will leverage this. You want to look at the number of cores in your processor. So we'll talk about the Intel line. It's the easiest one to talk about. We have i3, i5, and i7s. Most of those are dual core. The i7s are typically quad core, unless you're using it on a laptop. Some of them are eight core. They now have 16 core, and that goes on up. Not very useful unless you're running things at the same time, because that's the number of things that you can run simultaneously is really what, you know, you can put a different application in each one of those cores to run it so that you're running quickly. Um, and some advanced games, I mean, I hate to name total nerd games, but like World of Warcraft, uh, that thing was built around being able to run multiple cores at the same time. So leveraging that. But outside of that, your average user doesn't need a four core or eight core processor. What they need is a quick clock speed in order to compensate. So that's number one. Number two, we talked about it before, RAM or memory. Nowadays, eight gigabits, or eight GB, you'll see it listed as gigabytes rather, excuse me, isn't really sufficient anymore. We're seeing computers that are running even some rudimentary browser and, and Word or Excel start to kind of slow down at eight. So I recommend a minimum of 16. Uh, but 16 is going to be fine. It's going to be fine for the next you know, little while. Again, if you're using something intensive, like uh, any kind of the Adobe suite products, particularly Photoshop, then you want to look at something larger. 32 gigs is probably sufficient in that range. Uh, lastly, uh, maybe not lastly, i got one more thing, sorry. Um, nearly lastly, uh, this the hard drive. I don't think anything's being sold that isn't a solid state drive these days, but please make sure you get a solid state drive in it. The difference between a hard drive, a pulled plotter style hard drive, and a solid state drive is day and night difference. I mean, it is just incredible the difference between those speeds. In fact, I can, that is the only thing I recommend if you're going to try to upgrade your seven year old or your five year old uh, desktop or laptop to something newer, start with a solid state drive and more memory if you can, particularly a solid state drive. That thing alone can make a seven year old laptop run like it's something fairly new just by swapping out that particular component. Most people don't need to worry about space. Most hard drives these days come with more space than anyone's gonna use. If, again, if you're using Adobe suites of products, large graphics files, large video files, something like that, you may wanna consider looking at, do I need you know more than 512 gigabytes of space on my hard drive uh, or solid state drive? But typically what they come is just fine. The last thing I would look at is you're looking at used machines. Um, well, again, we'll talk about the Intel line. It's easiest to talk about. The very first number is the uh, generation of it. So we've gone from generation seven to generation 11 we're on now. That's kind of gives you the idea of the age of computers. So particularly if you're buying a used computer or used processor, you want to pay attention to that number because that is how old that thing is and how many more advanced features have added to it to make things run quicker. So a 10th gen uh, processor is is new and 11th gen is very new the ninth gen is a little old you get an eight and seven then you may experience it's not as fast as it could have been if you'd bought something with a newer generation wow that was a how long cra- answer <laughs> <laughs> how crazy it is is it to think that you know the generations coming up today of people will not know the sound that an old laptop makes when you're working it really hard without a solid state drive <laughs> Right. Yep. And you hear that thing spinning and stopping and changing directions. Why is there a burning right. smell coming from my computer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it might be your skin, your lap that it's on, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, then on a personal side, because I know this could be argued 
and is argued into infinity online at a consumer-based processors, Core i7, AMD Ryzen, 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 whatever, Ryzen, yeah. and the Apple M1. Which do you like best? Oh, gosh. That'd be, uh, that's gonna, that, that would spark a nightmare. Uh, and I will take a soundbite of your answer and I'll post it everywhere. <laughs> with right no of this. So, yeah, it uh, depends on your needs. I'm going to answer. Um, that's a good answer. AMD processors. So it, it's been this constant battle between AMD and Intel. So Intel will come out with the latest and greatest. It will, it will dominate the market for a while. Then AMD will, then Intel will. Last, last while, Intel has been... Um, successfully dominating the, the processing market and been beating out AMD. The Ryzen chip is is a good way to compete with Intel. And I would say AMD will allow you to save some money and get a similar processing power to an Intel processor. Generally, at least for as far as uh, most people go, and certainly in business, I recommend, this is where <laughs> it's going to bite me, the Intel line. They were even in, in Apple computers for a long time. They were using Intel. Now they've switched mm -hmm. back to the M1 chip and Motorola chip, but now we're into disparate hardware and the applications that be written to that are different than they were before. Whereas Intel, they could kind of port that things over and would run an Apple and vice versa. Now it's a different processor. And so that requires a whole level of different application writing. So if you're an artist, a graphic person, and you are okay spending the money, then certainly in Mac world is, is where artists tend to go. Um, and even a lot of business people we're seeing nowadays, just because they're fairly bulletproof, there's no doubt about it. Apple products, oh man, here I'm opening this can of worms, tend to be more rock solid because it's built to do that. It's what it's designed to do, not just run everything, but to run a specific set of applications and do it well. And there are some sort of definitely some advantages to Mac products, such as for artists, particularly. If I buy four different Mac products and I pull up a certain color of blue, it will look the same in every single one of those. Whereas if I buy four different PCs with four different monitors, the blue is going to be different between monitor uh, brands. So for artists, particularly who are worried about colors, if you want to see a true representation, Mac products are the way to go. Windows are still dominates the market. It's probably some 70% plus. I haven't looked at recently of the market of Windows products. It, and it's definitely a significant price savings over Mac products. So for the general user, I recommend a Windows PC platform. And again, Intel versus AMD, I think I already covered. So, man, you're yeah, going to the, in trouble here. As a Mac user, I, I do, I have both actually. For work, I have a PC and for I do photography and stuff for the audio editing for these podcasts. I use my Mac. And yes, the colors is, is unreal. Very consistent and straightforward. The Windows side, if you ever want to upgrade or make some changes or, you know, I like this computer, I want more memory. You can do that with most Windows devices. <laughs> with an Apple, no, you don't get to touch anything. That's not, that's not allowed. And then gaming is a joke. You don't play games outside of their app store, like a pinball, basically. You don't right. play games on, on any kind of Mac device. It's a joke. Yeah, it depends on the application. Absolutely. James, I feel like we could field you some all these 101 computer and IT questions all day, but we don't sure. want to keep you all day. Um, That's okay. <laughs> and again, if, if anybody's been tuning in and things and you have IT questions of any kind, let us know. Uh, and of course, Between the Bytes is at least a weekly podcast at this point, maybe even more frequently. So be sure to check out the podcast on Spotify and wherever podcasts are sold. Tune in and, and hear about more cybersecurity and IT updates. Mm -hmm. 
As we sort of close out, I wanted to ask a couple more, just little light ones for you, James. One okay. of them, as an IT veteran from all sides of the IT spectrum, what are some of the ways that, what are some of the things that annoy you? What are some ways to trigger an IT person? <laughs> um, well, this one's easy, although it's uh, <laughs> sensitive, I guess. Uh, a couple of ones at the top of mind are uh, call up for tech support and provide very little detail, right? <laughs> because for us, the only way to, to troubleshoot what's really going on is to get the details. And so we, we may have to ask you 30 questions if you don't provide at least some basic detail of what's going on. You know, what was the experience? What happened? What were you doing? Have you done anything right before that? You know, we, we need details because there's no way we're going to troubleshoot. Like the what we talked about earlier, my computer's running slow. Well, okay, that's great. Can you please describe in what way so we can try to narrow this down? So that's a big one. Providing zero details is a good way to get your IT person to pull their hair out. <laughs> and while it's understandable, so I want to be careful with this one, just calling and freaking out is, is not helping anybody, right? If you're going ballistic because you can't print, you have to print yesterday, we get it as a, as the IT support folks. We totally understand, but just like any panic situation, it's not going to get solved any easier if you're on you know out there freaking out, yelling or whatever. Um, <laughs> calm and cool is a much better approach. Always will be in every circumstance, not just IT support, but that's a big one. I guess the next one I'd say is folks that want to just, up, especially in a business environment, who just go upgrade things. They're like, oh, I went ahead and decided to upgrade and click on this, this button. Said go ahead and upgrade, so I clicked on that. Is that okay? Mostly it's it's not. Typically it's not. And hopefully we would have blocked that from happening. But if it didn't, please don't just go upgrade things. Um, now do updates. Yes, absolutely. Security updates, please go ahead and run those. Uh, but if your latest Mac OS or if Windows 11 rolled out, before you upgrade you know, to the latest Mac OS or Windows 11, please consult with your IT people. Because there, there may be incompatibilities with it. There may be security challenges with it. The latest Mac OS was released before a lot of the vendors, or the beta release, right? So they notified all the users and said, hey, do you guys want to try out this cool new operating system? And many people went, yeah, that sounds neat. I'll check it out. Not realizing that their antivirus program stopped working, that you know Office may or may not work with that. There's a, a whole suite of tools that suddenly would stop working that keep you going and <laughs> secure that may no longer function. So please be careful about doing actual upgrades. Uh, Windows 11, that's, that's certainly the same kind of deal. Yeah, don't don't please don't upgrade uh, without consulting some IT folks first. And, and again, if you're home, it's a whole different deal. That's that's yours. But in the office space and the business environment, yeah, please be careful doing that. Those are my top three. Does that work? I like it. Okay. Well, um, James, we appreciate you fielding all these questions. Very informative, very educational. Hopefully we had some audience folks tune in that uh, learned something new. I know a lot of it's 101, but it's always good to be have a refresher or just know what's going on. We all use computers. We should know a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes with them. We would be remiss though, to not bring up one last thing. Oh, MFA. And I'll, thank you, Derek. <laughs> Spoiler there. <laughs> on this one. <laughs> let me, let me pose it, pose it as a question though. James, yeah. what are one to three things that an individual can do to improve their digital security today? Yeah. Well, as you said, spoiler alert, multi-factor authentication, right? Please, please, please set up multi-factor authentication. If you accidentally go to the wrong site and it's a fake site and it harvests your login and password, they can then use that to log in to that 
the you know that site, your email, who knows. And if you use that password elsewhere, they can log in other sites and steal that other information as well. However, if you turn on multi-factor authentication, you have just completely escalated the difficulty it is for them to get that information. Even if they have their login and password, they can't get past that multi-factor. Even texting you is not ideal, but it works. It, you know, just some additional method besides a login and password that requires you to, and it's, you know, it's a pain, no doubt about it. One more step for you, but it, it vastly increases your security footprint. So ideally use an authenticator, such as the Microsoft Authenticator, there's a bunch of them out there, but certainly that's probably the most secure one and allows you to back it up. So if your phone gets wiped out, you can get them back. Um, so make sure you do that. If you use an authenticator, please make sure it's backed up. But even text messages or a phone call is better than nothing. So MFA all the way. <laughs> it sounds terrible, but that's really what it comes down to. And we've mentioned this a couple thousand times on our podcast before. This is we'll keep no mentioning less. it. Yeah, we'll oh, keep yeah. mentioning it. Second one, what would I say? Email. Email is probably the, the largest attack vector. We're going after the, the attackers going after the, the poor, busy user who's trying to get rid of their spam, clicking on the 43rd thing. Then they're trying everything they can under the sun. You know, it's here's your FedEx package and your Amazon invoice, uh, your flight, you know, whatever they can do to try to get you to click on those things. And while it could be legitimate, rather than click on the link inside your email, if there's any question about it, if you're uncertain, just go to the website and type in the address. Pull up your browser and type in www.fedex.com or delta.com or amazon.com rather than clicking on the link. Uh, I'll leave you with one more because we've seen this a lot lately as QR codes that are fake. Now, if you watched the Super Bowl recently, Coinbase did a real one. That was their 60-second ad, just a QR code were floating around. That was a real one. In fact, 20 million people hit their server in the span of 60 seconds and took it down, which is kind of funny. That's um, hilarious. Self-DDoS yeah, attack. <laughs> it totally did, yeah. They did not expect 20 million people to hit it all at once, although they probably should have. Um, but QR codes, don't just go ahead and click, you know, don't just pull up your phone and click on it and go for it automatically. Make sure it's coming from a legitimate source. A lot of uh, attackers are using that as a method like, oh, there's a QR code and it, we have it kind of automatically in our brain to just scan that thing in and see where it goes. So please be a little cognizant of that. Be aware that that is an attack vector these days. Awesome. Great advice and great way to close out this live episode. Thank you, James. Always a pleasure. That was fun. Let's do it again. Yeah. All right, folks. All right. Yeah. We'll close this out. Okay. Thanks for joining us. Be, Thanks be safe online, everyone. Yeah, we'll catch you guys on the next one. And this recording will be up uh, in a few days on our any of our podcast streaming services, Spotify, Anchor, Apple, everything like that. Yeah, we'll see you guys on the next one. Take care, all. Thanks, guys. See ya.